The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. And happy Mother's Day. We are so thankful for all the incredible, amazing moms uh, that we have over here. And uh, Megan has some uh, treat for you guys, and we just want to appreciate you uh, with the uh, little that we have. And so if you're a mom, please raise your hands, and Megan is at the back, and she'll be bringing some treats uh, to bless you guys. Nate, you're not a mom, so sorry. <laughs> just for moms. <laughs> Keep your hands up for Megan. I'm just going to pray for our moms uh, before we dig into our sermon this morning. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the incredible, uh, just amazing women that, women that you've blessed us with, uh, people that we're fortunate to call moms. And we thank you for their lives. We thank you for just how they give without stopping. And we just pray special blessings uh, on them. You know, bless them, provide the desires of their hearts, give them rest in areas where they need rest, and just continue to be with them. Uh, Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we'll be continuing with our sermon series, Talking to God. And our intro so far has been this. Lord, teach us to pray. This request from Jesus' disciples not only reveal their personal desire, but offers a lasting impression of Jesus' life and ministry. Jesus' life, the perfect life, was a praying life. The intimacy and the understanding between Jesus and the Father is available to every person who desires to know God today. Lord teaches how to pray. This morning we'll be looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, and we'll be looking at an incredible uh, mother. But as I was reading the story of Hannah, I thought I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my mom because there's some similarities between this story of Hannah and my mom. And so my mom and dad met somewhere that I don't remember. (laughs) They fell in love. And they got married, like most people do. A year later, my mom had a son, Isaac. Unfortunately, Isaac died after he was two months old. He was a healthy baby. Nothing was wrong with him. He just passed away. And it was at 
devastating experience uh, for my mom. Probably one of the hardest times of her life. Well, a few years after that, God blessed my mom with my older sister, Miriam. And then two years after that, God blessed her with another girl, Sarah. But because my mom had two girls, my dad just became mean because having a boy is what I guess every Nigerian father wants, right? They want a son to take their name. And so having two girls wasn't enough. And so my dad started mistreating my mom. And my mother's, uh, my dad's mom also started mistreating my mom. And it got back to the point where my grandmother forced, well, she encouraged him to marry another woman. And that's what my father did, just because he wanted a son. And so he married another woman. And by the way, my dad will call himself a Christian, you know, but we have a lot of cultural uh, Christians in Nigeria. So it's not uncommon for a guy to marry uh, more than one wife. I mean, I only have one, and I know how hard it is. And so I'm like, two wives? And by the way, my grandfather had seven wives. And so he thought my father was weak for only having two wives. I don't know what he will say about me, because I think I'm done. <laughs> anyway, my dad marries a second wife. And of course, you have two women married to one man. Like, how can you possibly live in peace? And so they didn't get along. And of course, she taunted my mom, you know, she wasn't nice, because my mom is the woman who can have sons. And they bring her, and she will be the ones, she will be the one to bear a son for my mom. A year later, Ibrahim comes along to save the day. <laughs> Sorry. My mom is blessed with me. And my mom actually wanted to name me Samuel, but my dad decided, no, he's my son. I'm going to name him Ibrahim after my uncle, who he just really liked. <laughs> and so Hannah's story, in a way, is similar to what my mom went through. And so... In, uh, let's read our scripture uh, this morning. And so 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. Right? And so the, the book of Samuel begins with Hannah, right? but it's not really about her. And so it's interesting that Hannah is introduced in the first chapter uh, to us. Well, if you read the whole chapter, uh, you will see why. But while the Israelite wanted a king at this point in history in the book of Samuel, there was a woman, and she just wanted a son. And so in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, we are introduced to a man named Elkanah and his wives. And so read with me 1 Samuel, uh, starting from verse 1 to 8. There was a certain man from Ramathia, 
a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zu, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until, until she wept and will not eat. Elkanah, her husband, will say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And so this is the introduction uh, we have. We're introduced to three people. Elkanah has two wives. And it, it was very common for people back then to have two wives, but that didn't make it okay, right? I mean, last week we saw the story of uh, Abraham with Sarah convincing him to marry Hagar because they wanted a child. So it was common back then, but it's not okay. And it's not very common for us here today. But if you live in the Middle East and in some regions in the world, it is very common for somebody to have more than one wife. One of our president had 23 wives. Like, who does that? And so we are told Elkanah is a godly man because every year he takes his family to Shiloh to worship. Because according to the law of Moses, the Israelites could not worship and sacrifice anywhere. And so they had to go to the temple. And so the temple was at Shiloh. And so he will take his family every year to go offer their prayers and sacrifice to the Lord. But also, we are told whenever they offer the sacrifice, he will give portions of meat to Penina and her sons and daughters. But he will give a double portion to Hannah because he loved her dearly. And because Hannah was dearly loved by her husband, her rival provoked and taunted her to irritate her because she did not have children. I think it was almost the same thing that my mom had experienced. But can you imagine Hannah's pain if you're a mother? I mean, most girls dream of becoming moms. My sister is obsessed with my little boy, Isaac. I I can just give Isaac to her and she will take care of him the whole day because she loves him and she is only nine. And I think most girls aspire to be moms. And so what if you had that dream and you got married 
and you're waiting for the blessing to be a mom, and it doesn't happen. And nothing is wrong with you, because the text doesn't tell us that anything is wrong with Anna. God just didn't bless her with a son. What would you do? But can you imagine Hannah's pain? Hannah didn't know what to do. Instead, she prayed. And I love Elkanah's response in chapter 8. He says, don't I mean more to you than sons and daughters? Men can be so insensitive sometimes. In my marriage, I've just learned to keep quiet sometimes because I make it worse. So all the wise men in my life just say, tell her you're right, honey, and don't say anything. Don't be like Job's friends. Like, he didn't recognize that she had needs he could not fulfill, such as being a mother. Even though he loved her, it wasn't enough. And so Hannah, not knowing what to do, she did what? we ought to do if we were in that situation. And so starting in verse 9 to 18, Hannah prays and she offers a vow. So chapter 9, once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord. Hannah replied, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for. Hannah prays. Because she knew there was nothing she can do to better her situation. It was all in God's hands. And so she prayed to the person who had the key to her solution. But she began her prayers by calling on the Lord Almighty. This title has the idea of the Lord of mighty armies. Because Hannah felt attacked by her rival. So she called on the Lord of mighty armies to be her protector and her shield. And then she makes a vow. Hannah promised her son will work for the Lord, vowing he will be a Nazarite from birth. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. According to Numbers chapter 6, the vow of the Nazarite included the following. 
abstinence from any product from a grape vine signifying distance from all fleshy pleasures, taking no part in mourning for the dead, not to come near to a dead body because the dead show the corruption and the fruit of sin. Also, this showed that the Nazarite had greater concern than the ordinary joys and sorrows of life. And then lastly, never cutting their hair because it was a public visible sign for others to make that vow. And so she says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life if you bless me with a son. Samuel well, this child who hasn't been born yet, if he was born, he would be a Levite because Elkanah is also from the tribe of the Levites. And we know that God chose the Levites to be his priest. And so the child was already dedicated as a Levite because God has regarded them to be his priest. But by the time of the Levite special dedication to the Lord, they only lasted from about 30 to uh, 50 years, right? And so if you were in the tribe of the Levite, you only become a priest when you were from age 30 to 50. But Hannah took something that already belonged to the Lord and gave it to him in a greater way. Samuel will serve the Lord for his whole life. He won't have to wait till he's 30. And in the dedication of a Nazareth, Nazarite, which was a greater consecration than being a Levite. I, I stop and ask myself, like, why will you make such a vow? You've, I mean, you're praying for a son. We don't know how long it's been, but it's been many years. And then you're saying, when God blesses me with a son, I'm going to offer him to the Lord. For all the days of his life. No wonder the priest thought she was drunk. Because if I was her friend and she suggested that to me, I would probably say, yeah, you should slow down on that wine or stop smoking something. But that was the vow that she made. And even when Eli came and scolded her because she was praying in silence, she was praying in her heart, he thought she was drunk. She said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just afflicted. Here is my problem, and I'm offering it to the Lord. And what does Eli do? He blesses her. He prays for her. And then as we continue in the story, verse 19 to 20, God answers that prayers. Verse 19, early the next morning, they arose in worship before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. God finally answers our prayers. God finally answered her prayer. You know, I've heard of people saying, 
you know, I've prayed for a member of my family for 20 years before they finally came to the Lord. I'm like, praying for someone to accept Jesus? Like, why do I have to pray for 20 years for God to finally change their heart? Like, Hannah was praying for a son. She was praying for a child. That is a good thing. Why did she have to wait for that long? Only God knows. But it didn't matter because God finally heard her cry and he blessed her with a son after they went home. And then in verse 21 to 28, Samuel is presented to the Lord. Remember the vow that she made? She is fulfilling that vow. And so in 21, look at 21 to 28 uh, with me. Sorry, I'm trying to find my 21. That's what happens when you're half blind. I'm just going to start in verse 20. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord from him and present him before the Lord and will live there always. Oh, sorry, 21. When the man Elkanah went up with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah said. Stay there until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until he had, she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood there beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked, what I asked for. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he will worship the Lord there. She keeps her promise. After Samuel is weaned, I mean, I don't know how long they did it uh, back then. You know, most of us probably, uh, we wean our babies after six months, a year. And so he was very young when she finally took him to the temple to offer him to the Lord for full service. But can you imagine how hard this was for Hannah? But their willingness to fulfill the vow at a greater personal cost was evident of their godliness. And Elkanah didn't even stop her. He supported his wife for giving Samuel uh, to the Lord. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah offers a prayers. 
Remember, our series is talking about prayers. And so chapter one is to introduce us to uh, these three characters and what's going on. And so Samuel is offered to the Lord. But this is the prayers that Hannah offers to the Lord after she gives up her son. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, and there is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak much arrogance. For the Lord is the God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full who were full hired themselves out of food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren was born seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He stumbles and he exults. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundation of the earth are the Lord. He will guide the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from the heaven and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his kings and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under his priest, Eli. This is probably one of the most powerful prayers in scripture. And notice how she starts the prayers. In verses 1 and 2, she starts praying by giving thanksgiving and praise to God. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And so Hannah showed a depth of commitment and love for God that may humble us. On the day she made the biggest sacrifice of her life, giving her only son to serve God for the rest of his life, She says, I rejoice in the Lord. So she could not rejoice in leaving her only son, but she could rejoice in the Lord in the most desperate situation when we have nothing else to rejoice in. We can rejoice in the Lord. And then she says, I smile at my enemies. She had a strong sense of vindication. Remember the second wife who was taunting her and making life difficult for her before she had Samuel? Now she's saying, I smile at my enemies. And I can now rejoice because the Lord has lifted me up. And then in verse 3, she offers a warning to the arrogant. She says, talk no more so proudly. Hannah certainly had her rival in mind, 
but she also said, saw Panina as a representative of all the proud and the arrogant people in the world, people who think they have everything and so they can taunt the rest for having nothing. Hannah wisely told the proud to talk no more and let no arrogance come from your youth. Pride can be expressed in many ways, but it's usually expressed in words. And so it will be better if proud people will just not talk so much because they don't know what tomorrow will look like. And then she said, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. So don't be proud. Don't talk too much. For God is the God of knowledge. This, of course, is the reason to forsake our pride. Because next to God, we know nothing. He knows us. And he weighs all of our actions. And then Hannah's glories God who humbles the strong and exalts the weak in verses 4 to 8. She says, the bowels of the mighty men are broken. And so we should be humble before God because he knows how to humble the strong. Those who are full are now begging. And she who has many children has become feeble. If we are strong or exalted now, we should keep humble because the Lord can change our place quickly like he did in Hannah's situation. And then she said, those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the bearing has borne seven. And so we should be humble before God because he knows how to exalt the weak. If we are weak or in a low place, wait humbly before God because he will eventually lift you up. Now, we don't know how long that's going to take. But we can patiently wait, and he will eventually lift us up. He will eventually hear our cries and answer our prayers. And then Hannah also adds in our prayers, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. Hannah knew she was barren because the Lord had closed her womb. She knew God first set her low and then brought her high. She could see the hand of God in all situations. And that's why Paul said, in every situation, give thanks. Even the situations that we don't like, God's hand is still in it. And at the end, he will show up. Even when we feel that he's been quiet for so long, he always shows up. Sometimes not the way we want him to show up. And sometimes he surprises us and shows up the way that we expect him to show up, like he did for Hannah. And then she ends her prayers in verse 8 to 10 by putting her confidence in the future. She says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Hannah was confident in God's ability to humble the strong and to exalt the weak because God is in control. If God were not in control, then perhaps the strong could do what they wanted and God could not stop them. Hannah knew that the foundation of the earth itself, the pillars of the earth, 
belong to God. And if God holds the pillars of the earth and it belongs to him, then certainly he is in control. And that is a God you can put your trust in him. And then she said, For by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. God uses his power to set things right. And so it is not enough for us to believe that God has this power. We must know that he will use his power for his glory and for his righteousness. At the right time, he blessed Hannah with a son for his glory and for his righteousness. And God continues to do that today to show us his glory and his righteousness. And then she ends her prayers with, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. At this time, Israel did not have a king and did not seem to want one earlier in the story. So when Hannah spoke of his king, she looked ahead to the Messiah who will finally set all things right. He is the anointed one. And then after she offers his prayers, she goes home. And so what do we take from this story? This is an incredible story. And Hannah, like most moms, she's just an incredible woman. I mean, my son is six months. And I cannot imagine leaving him for two days. And yet... She offers the most radical of sacrifices. Why? Faith. She had faith that if God can bless her with Samuel, even though she has offered him to the Lord, God is powerful enough to bless her again with more kids. And if you continue reading the book of Samuel, I'm not going to spoil anything. I want you guys to read Samuel. You will see what God did for her. And so why do we pray? We pray because Jesus prayed, and he wants us to pray. He wants us to imitate him. But we also pray because we have needs, sometimes good things that we need from the Father. And we keep praying because maybe God is busy. Maybe he's saying no. Maybe he's saying wait. But he says keep praying. Like Hannah, I'm sure every year they went to the temple, she was praying, and eventually God answered. And so she prayed, God answered, she gave Samuel away, and she praises God for being faithful. And so in whatever situation that we find ourselves uh, this morning, for all the unanswered prayers that we have, I think we can learn so many things from Hannah. And we can approach her situation just the way that she did. And so pray with me. Jesus, thank you for... Uh, just uh, amazing stories uh, in the Old Testament that we uh, get to read. You know, thank you for Hannah and her faith. Thank you for her story. And just thank you for the incredible 
woman that she was. And I just pray that we'll be encouraged uh, by her. And thank you that you're a God who remains the same. You want us to approach you. You want us to keep asking. And we thank you because eventually you do answer us. Sometimes by not giving us what we ask for. Sometimes by giving us something better. Or even sometimes changing our request. But thank you because we can approach you and ask you for what we need. And so we thank you for your provision. And I just want to thank you for the amazing moms that we are celebrating today. And just pray that we won't just stop celebrating them today, that we will celebrate them every day. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.